0: You are listening to the Wordslinger Podcast, episode 149, Fantasy Writing Career with Michelle Maddow. This episode of the Wordslinger Podcast is brought to you by Draft to Digital. Convert your manuscript, distribute it online, and get support the whole way at drafttodigital.com. It's the Wordslinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about this story here. What's yours now? Here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tumlinson, the word slinger. Word slinger. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Um, let me tell you how you can tell whether or not I actually care about you <laughs> and about, about this industry. Uh, here's how to know. That I care about indie authors, specifically the indie authors that I know, tune in to the Wordslinger podcast. I have been working on this episode all day. (laughs) It is 3.30 in the afternoon. I started working on this around 6 in the morning. I have had to re-record the uh, the video version of the podcast. I had to do that four separate times before uh, glitches and other things. Uh, did not get in the way. <laughs> I actually recorded I recorded the, uh, the YouTube version of the show. I recorded it perfectly the first time, um, which is not unusual. Uh, but it, 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 it decided, well, I screwed up and accidentally closed the video window as the video was exporting. And it lost the uh, video. And then I went back. I was mad at myself. I decided I'll laugh about it. And I uh, got myself pumped up and I did the whole thing again and forgot to hit record. <laughs> so that's on me. Uh, so I pumped myself up one more time and I run it. And um, I'm probably two-thirds of the way through it when a, some weird glitch happens and it stops the recording and throws me out. Uh, much cursing ensued. Uh, a lot of foul language. I won't kid you. And then I finally uh, wrangled myself to do it one more time. (laughs) Okay. So, and then the format currently, uh, which now I am considering making some dramatic changes to the format overall. Uh, But the format for the uh, video version of the show, it is recorded entirely separately from the audio version. And I'm now thinking of trying to merge the two to just make my life a little simpler, a little easier. Uh, We we will see. But I am... um, I don't know what i'm gonna do yet frankly i'm i'm thinking i'm rethinking it all <laughs> i'm rethinking every bit of it um <clears throat> and uh then i had some trouble uploading um but then i had weird glitchy issues uh recording i could record but i couldn't play back and i did this several times and spent an hour or two working on that and i've been waiting for things to uh render i've been waiting for things for other things to uh to, to, you know, just start working. Uh, I basically restarted and unplugged and replugged. And uh, finally, 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 here we are. <laughs> Beloved listener, whom I love. <laughs> Man, I would not do this level of work for anybody unless I cared a whole lot about them. So, here I am. Uh, here you are. Thank you for that. Because you made it worth the time and effort <laughs> for me to do this um <clears throat> but i also frankly couldn't wait to do this because of course the guest i have uh, a, an amazing guest Michelle Maydo. she is uh, i i met her initially at nink uh when she showed up at one of the uh, one of our sponsored events uh uh, to meet actually mark Dawson sponsored that event. Don't let me take the credit away mark Dawson sponsored the event She wanted to meet him so she came to nink to meet mark um, I got to meet her chat with her hang out with her and, uh, and Then we've bumped in each other again at a couple of other conferences, so uh, She's she's a wonderful person. Uh, she's got an incredible career and she gives you the skinny on the whole thing So uh, that's what this interview is about So I'm not going to delay you from getting into that it took me this long to get you here <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to jump right in to the wonderful Michelle Meadows interview please stick around after the interview I've got some industry news uh, some very cool stuff you're going to want to you're going to want to hear about you've probably heard about some of this already um, there's a lot of interesting stories in uh, indie publishing news right now and we're going to we're gonna dive into some of that and uh, I'll probably get a little opinionated even so <laughs> stick around for that after the interview and uh, I will see you on the other side Hey, everybody. Uh, okay. Now, you know, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that I go to a lot of conferences. I talk to a lot of authors at conferences. Um, a couple of years ago, I was at Nink. This was actually my first time at NINC, uh, And I ran into this lovely young lady who is uh, who happens to be a very successful author. She was not there to meet me. She was there to meet someone else entirely. Uh, Mark Dawson. Everybody's there to meet Mark Dawson, actually. Um, But I got a chance to hang out with her again at a a completely different conference this this past year. Uh, And uh, you were not at Nink this time, were you, Michelle?
1: I was not, because Indie Book Fest was like a few days before Nink. Yeah. I just did not have time in my writing schedule to do both of them. And I had committed to Indie Book Fest before Nink, so I went to that one. Right.
0: Right. Well, I should actually say, welcome, uh, Michelle Maddow. Did I pronounce it right? I didn't ask you before Uh, the show.
1: Maddow like shadow.
0: Maddow like shadow. See, (laughs) I messed it up right off the bat. And we were just talking about how I don't edit the show uh, to cover up any flubs or anything. So there you go. You you have permission to flub all you want through the rest of the show because I messed up your name right off.
1: Everyone says it that way
0: at first. <laughs> <laughs> There's, it's missing a, a second D, so it should be meadow-like shadow. Yes. Right? Okay. All right, cool. That's cool. Um, I, actually, I think that's kind of a fortuitous name for the type of fiction you write. You write YA fantasy, right?
1: I do, yes. Um, I write Elementals, which is my most fun one, and I'm writing vampires right now. So okay, I-
0: vampires—that's new. No, no one's covered that territory at all.
1: Oh no, totally uncharted.
0: <laughs> so, uh, well, what got you to that? I mean, you're—you are—you're very uh, right-to-market centric. So that—that that implies that there is still a market there, right?
1: Oh yeah, I totally think so. Um, I'm a huge fan of vampire books, which is why wow. I wanted to write it. I was a major Twilight fan. And the Shaded Vampire series is doing so amazingly well on Amazon that there, I was like, there has to be a market for this. Um, you know, otherwise people would not be reading them. So right. I figured that there was a market for that. And there are tons of other vampire books that sell well too, like Vampire Girl and Vampire Gift Series. I mean, these are everywhere. So I know the readers are there, which is great because it's what I love to write. So I'm just like, you know, the readers are there. I love to write this. It makes sense for me to delve right in.
0: Right, yeah, okay, so. Uh, Okay. Now you're, you are what I, one of the authors I consider, uh, highly successful. Uh, oh, thank you, you. <laughs> well, you know, any, I think any author that that's making a living from their work it should be considered highly successful at any rate, but, uh, you're actually doing quite well and you started, uh, well, tell me a little, I don't want to tell your story for you. Why don't you tell me a little about when you started and how you got into this?
1: Okay. So it started actually back in 2008 when I was a junior in college. And I took an intro to creative writing course that semester. And I wrote the first chapter of a book that's now called Remembrance. And I turned it in as a um, homework assignment. I had to write either a, sh- a first chapter, a short story, or a poem. And I obviously chose a first chapter. And all of these students in my class, you know, we all read each other's work, and they loved it, and they were like, you have to turn this into a full novel. And, you know, by then, like, I was just in college. Like, I love to write for fun, but I hadn't really thought of writing professionally until that moment because I didn't really think I could finish a book. It just had never occurred to me to even try. So when I got that encouragement from my whole class and my teacher also, he was like, yes, you need to write this. I decided to write it and I wrote that book in my junior year. And that was back in 2008, actually. So it was kind of before indie publishing was even a thing. Like, I don't even think the Kindles were out then. I don't remember exactly when they came out, but possibly after that. So I was obviously looking at traditional. Um, and I signed with my first agent between my junior and senior years of college and That was super exciting, but she ended up actually not selling that book Remembrance. So then in senior year I wrote Elementals um, and Then I wrote another series Secret Diamond Sisters after that one. And I was writing all first books in series just because um, For traditional publishing you have to write a first book in series to get picked up by them. Right and um, around 2011 is actually when my agent at the time was saying that, you know, the trad market was just not looking for any of the stuff that I was writing, like anything with magic or a girl finding out she has powers or any of that fun stuff. So she advised that I self publish, um, remembrance to try to get the attention of a major publishing house. Cause she said Mm -hmm. if I could prove I had sales that they might be more willing to pick me up. So I did that and I published remembrance in 2011 by myself. And the indie market and the whole self-publishing world was so different back in 2011. I mean, I sort of knew nothing about what I was doing. (laughs) I just threw the book up there on Amazon. Luckily, one of my best friends um, was a business major in school. So she like came to my help and she was like, I wrote this whole business plan for you to help you out because I can see you have no idea what you're doing. So she sent me this like 10 page long business plan, which really did help me get the word out. And I did sell enough copies. I actually got a traditional deal for my Secret Diamond Sisters trilogy. And I got that deal in 2012, Mm. and that released in 2014 and 2015. And after being trad for those two years, I just kind of realized that it was not what I wanted for my career. Because I kind of like, not just kind of like, I loved that control I had but being indie when I was doing Remembrance. And I realized that like trad was what I had wanted, for so long, but now that I'm comparing it to my experience with indie publishing, it really wasn't living up to expectations. Right,
0: right. Right.
1: Right. So after that trilogy, I went back to indie publishing. You know, I'd written Elementals in my senior year of college, and no publisher had picked it up. But I thought it was a great story. Like, I had so much fun writing it. All my friends who had read it loved it. So I just decided to indie publish it myself in January 2016. And I wrote the rest of the series in 2016. And that was when I took Mark Dawson's courses. And that's when I really dove in and just taught myself everything I possibly could about indie publishing. I wanted to make sure that I gave my series the best chance of success as possible. And I knew that that I had to market it. I couldn't just sit back and wait for stuff to happen. And it went really well. I applied everything I learned in Mark Dawson's course um, to Elementals and I released the box set for that, the five books in one thing um, in Christmas 2016. And that's when everything just really exploded for me, which was so exciting. And then after that, I wrote my Vampire Wish series and I actually just finished the fifth and final book of that like two days ago. So that's coming out in two weeks.
0: Wow, okay, I mean, that's a roller coaster ride right there. Uh
1: (laughs) It's been been six years, so like, you know, the success definitely did not happen overnight. Um, well, six years since I first published, but more like eight years, I mean you know, 10 years since I first wrote my first book. So that was a really long time of learning and also becoming a better writer. Like all those books that I wrote just really helped me improve a ton. Right, right. Yeah. You,
0: you kind of subscribe to that, um, that sort of philosophy that the first million words are practice?
1: Oh, completely. Um, actually, before I even wrote my first book, I was super involved with writing fan fiction. Like as I mentioned before, I loved Twilight, and I actually did a lot of Twilight and Harry Potter fan fiction. So I most definitely wrote like a million words just of that, and I think that that practice is what made it so that my first book that I wrote was something I could publish.
0: Right. right.
1: Otherwise, my first book would have been terrible.
0: So you you would have been had it had it been around at the time, you would have been one of the uh, the superstars on Wattpad or something.
1: Oh, most definitely. (laughs) Um, I think I used. fanfiction.net back in the day. And I also did a lot of MySpace fanfiction.
0: Right. MySpace is MySpace.
1: like really not even around anymore. Wow. But yeah, i was really into that.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I actually, uh, no, I wouldn't have pegged you as being old enough to, to even know what MySpace was actually, so.
1: Oh yeah, I'm 30 years old, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was not
0: going to ask that. I was, really gonna that. Yeah. I was never going to ask that. It's not on my list of questions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was a junior in 2008 in college, so I think right. people can do math from there. Yeah,
0: right. Right, There you go. Yeah. So it's interesting because you and I had um, almost almost reverse uh, entries into the the world because I initially I well, I mean, I got a contract and then decided that I I liked making money better than, you know, having the the credential on my resume, I guess. And then I dropped out and did self publishing. So you kind of went the other direction, but, uh, it's interesting that you, you had that experience and then came back around to self publishing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was so much happier when I was self publishing and traditional, like, yeah, it was cool. Seeing my books on the shelves of Barnes and Noble like that was always been a lifelong dream of mine. But when I really sat down and looked at the math and the money, it just wasn't there. Um, and it was there in indie publishing.
0: See, that speaks to something I I talk to authors about all the time, which is, you know, what is it you're really after? Because a lot of authors, um, there is this notion that you want to be able to walk into a Barnes & Noble and see your book on a shelf, right? Mm That's exciting, you know. But then, what is it you actually want? Because if that's all you want, I can carry a book into the Barnes and Noble and put it <laughs> on the shelf. But I want a lifestyle, which I think is what most authors are actually after. Is that kind of your philosophy as well?
1: Oh, completely. Um, I want to be able to wake up at whatever time I'm ready to wake up each morning and not have to wake up with an alarm. Which, yeah. you know, Working from home, I'm able to do that, which is wonderful. I want to be able to write the stories that I feel in my heart I want to write the most. Obviously, I do write to market, so I like to take both things into account, but I don't want to have to ask a publisher for permission for a book to even be published. You right. know, I love that any idea I like, I can still write it, even if I have an idea of my heart later on. You know, I can still take the time and write it along with my to market books. Right. Um, I just love being in control of the whole process. I love having a say with the covers. Um, I love that I can work at my own pace. You know, with Vampire Wish, I released all five books in the series from June to December of this year. So I was releasing almost a book a month.
0: Yeah. And you
1: can't do that with Trad. Like,
0: no, you can't.
1: Trad, it's like, I think maybe six months is like the absolute closest they'll ever do. But my books were like a year apart with Trad. Yeah. Um, so, and I think readers actually like that better readers like to binge read.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like if I hate as a reader, like when I go to read a series and I see the next book's not coming out for another year, like that drives me lost. So, I mean, I love being able to release the books quickly for my readers. So they're able to enjoy them at a normal
0: pace. Right? Yeah. No, I, 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 that whole binging thing, it, it's kind of, I, I guess it's a relatively new phenomenon cause we didn't actually have the capability of doing that really in the past, but now, Netflix has made that a thing. And, you know, but as far as binge reading, I remember picking up, you know, I would discover an author's work uh, and just go and just cram every word in my head as quickly as possible when I was a kid. So that's a, that's a thing. Uh, And uh, and yeah, I get it. That's annoying when they're not done. I I feel so bad that I rebooted. So I, I started my whole, I started writing thrillers instead of sci-fi. So now I don't have as many books to refer people to. (laughs) So I'm working on on that as well.
1: Yeah, build the backlist.
0: <laughs> build the backlist. So, um, which you, you kind of mentioned uh, waking up without an alarm clock. Um, so that that gets us into sort of your process. Like, what is the typical workday for you as as, um, as an author?
1: So when I'm drafting, um, I will wake up when I'm ready to, when I'm ready to wake up. But I still try to keep a normal schedule. So uh-huh. what I do is I'll like leave my blinds open. On my window, so I wake up with the sun. So that way, I'm not like sleeping past noon or whatever. Like, I'll wake up around 7:30 or like eight is like sleeping late, I guess. Um, I think I slept till eight today, and that was like, whoa, like I slept in. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, like, I want to be in tune with the rest of the world, so I do like to go out with my friends for like happy hours and stuff. And to do that, I need to have a full workday beforehand. Um, so I'll wake up and I will check all my um, like my sales figures, my social media sites. Um, I'll go through all my ads, um, I'll kind of do all my spreadsheets. Every morning I will calculate how much money I spent in ads the day before just because I feel like it's really important to know that information. Um, with my Amazon ads, which I do a ton of, I'll just go through like each keyword and I'll discontinue the ones that are not working. I'm really just meticulous when it comes to monitoring my ads, right. which is actually probably something I learned in Mark Dawson's course. because. <laughs> 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 So I'll go through all of that. And then I'll probably check Facebook for a little bit. I have a lot of author groups that I'm part of in Facebook. And that ne- networking actually has been very helpful for my career. Like I've gotten to know a lot of authors that I would not have gotten to know without Facebook. And we've done a lot of cross promotions. So wow. that's very helpful. And then I will sit down and I'll just try to write anywhere from, I guess, 1,500 to 2,000 words a day. Um, I use Scrivener to do my writing. So I'll just plug in on Scrivener with the progress bar the day that I want to have my draft finished by. And I'll right. just try to write um, the amount of words that it tells me I need to write to get it done by then. Um, I'm not like a hugely fast writer. I know there are so many writers out there who like they can write 5,000 words an hour or they can write like even 5,000 words a day. I think you're like that. You're like yeah. crank out like 5K a day or like even right. more on your Facebook posts. But I've never been able to do that. I think the most I've ever written in a day was 4,800. Right. and that once, like normally, I'll write like a good day for me is 2,000 words. Which, okay. if I can keep doing that, I do it every day. Like, it's not yeah. like you know, I'm, I'm just very, um, you know, organized and I just sit down and do that daily, which yeah. gets me like able to write a book in a month.
0: Yeah, that's that's as I was going to say, that's still 60,000 words a month. I mean, that's, that's yeah, pretty good progress.
1: Yeah, my books are only 50,000 words, they're short. Yeah. Um, I just feel like readers kind of like shorter reads now. Um, I do too. Yeah, And I like it's a
0: controversial books. thing, by the way, when when, when I go to conferences, especially in particular, when I talk to uh, the traditional crowd, they'll ask like, how, for, I don't know if you've had this experience when I'm talking to traditional authors, they ask certain questions and I think they're traps. I, I think they're supposed to be traps, but one of the questions is, well, how many words are your novels? Cause I'll say, I'll write a novel in 15 days or whatever. And uh, I'll say, well, they're generally around 60,000 words. And you can see like this sort of, oh.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so controversial.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just try to write what I like as a reader. And I yeah. like, like, I just feel like it's like progress. Like I feel like I've accomplished a lot when I can finish more books. So even right. if that series is longer, I find it more fun to just kind of plow through each book. Um, instead of just have like long books, which obviously it's going to be, each reader's going to have a different taste, but since that's what I like, I try to write for that. And also I think it's beneficial like for authors that way, because then you have more product to sell, which is great. Um, but yeah, so I'll just write my 2000 words every day, but I try to write clean words. So like my first drafts are generally pretty close to what I end up publishing. Right. Um, Yeah. That's also again with practice. Like I'm at my seventh book right now yeah. so obviously like my third or whatever my fifth book like I was not writing that like and it was like pretty much done by the first draft like those needed more edits yeah, it's yeah. as I keep doing it like with each book I just like with that experience that builds I'm able to write um cleaner and cleaner first draft so
0: how, how are you uh how do you do that how do you manage the uh the writing the clean draft thing do you do you hop back as you're writing or what do you do
1: so I outline my whole book before okay. I start writing um, mm. my outlines are generally about 5,000 words. So they're very detailed. Um, I'll outline out conversations that I hear the characters having, and it's just kind of just a full summary beginning to end, like detailed summary of yeah. everything that I want to happen in the book. And okay. before I even start writing my draft, I'll go back and I'll edit my outline. So that's where I'll do like my developmental edits is oh. in the outline phase. So okay. any story problems, will be dealt with in my outline so that they're not an issue later on. Because I think it's so much easier to fix story problems when you're looking at an outline versus when you've already written the whole thing out because that just like adds so much more time to the process. So I Identify those problems there. And then once that's all fixed up, I will just start my drafting process. And I like that when I'm drafting, I'm not really thinking about story because the story's already been worked out in my outline. Like to me, that's like two different brain processes. Like creating a story is so different from, drafting the actual words and making it sound pretty and making it come to life. So I just like to separate that out, which is why I outline and draft separately. Because um, yeah. I know some people will just draft and like plot as they go, which I cannot do that. It drives me mental. Um, <laughs> so, like I hate drafting without knowing what's gonna happen. Yeah. So I just follow my outline and I just write the draft of the outline. You know, occasionally like I'll realize in my draft that something would be better if I deviate slightly from my outline, but it's only slightly, like it does not change the whole story. It's just like making a scene better.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So so
1: I, w- I got that done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and when you're outlining, you are it sounds like you're writing kind of like a in you know, a treatment format, right? You're you're it's it's prose, it's not it's not like bullet lists or something along along those lines. Um,
1: it's bullet list, but it's like paragraphs in each bullet. So each okay. bullet is like a like a few sentences. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have
0: I have tried, I have tried, tried, tried to do Exactly that or or I've tried a million ways to outline. I'm no good at outlining. What I end up doing is writing the freaking book in the uh outline. So I might as well just write the book.
1: (laughs) Everyone has like their own process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I showed like some of my writer friends my outlines because like they didn't really understand what I was talking about. And they looked at it and they said that they could never write from something like that. They said they would feel like so creatively constricted. Right. But for me, like I feel creatively constricted without the outline. So I just start panicking. So I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So
0: you know,
1: to each their own. I mean,
0: I think I think what you're doing is no different than what what I do. Honestly, it's just that what you're you're doing is more organized up front. And you, what, I think what you're doing is you're writing a draft. It sounds like you're writing a, a skeletal draft. Yeah. And then you're coming back and editing and filling in the gaps.
1: That is, that is about, right? a perfect description, actually, of what I do. No one's ever put it that way, but that really describes it. It's like the most... Well, that's a thing.
0: That's a thing I, I do.
1: That. Yeah. I <laughs> of like, 5,000 words. So, like, it's like a very skeletal draft. But, yeah, that's a yeah. wonderful way of describing it.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, you, uh, I only, I, only, I charge a couple hundred bucks for that kind of thing. You <laughs> just send the money to me. No, Um. so, okay, well, that's cool. No, I, I, I have to tell you, I respect that because... Um, when it comes to outlining, it's always been a chore for me to try to do that. And, uh, I try, I've co-authored a couple of things with some folks who rely heavily on outlines Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and I'm a complete pantser. So it doesn't, you know, it, it, it it sort of worked out better for me. Like with Nick Thacker, I'll have, he loves to do the outlines. So I'll, I'll let him outline to his heart's content and then I'll use his outline. I don't seem to have a problem using outlines. It's just Mm -hmm. getting the outline. (laughs) So. You've uh, okay. Now you've 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 written your outline. You've written your draft. Um, what's your process from there?
1: Um. So from there, I will read it over once. Um. Again, this is one of those things that, like, I don't recommend that other authors do this. I was an English major, um, and I've had a lot of work with my other books, but I do self-edit my books. Um, I know okay. that's like, super frowned upon.
0: No, um, I get it. I do. Yeah,
1: but you know. <laughs> I don't have complaints in my reviews. I mean if I did obviously I would hire an editor, but to be honest, I have a lot of reviews that compliment the editing in my books and say that they're like so thrilled to have found a book that's like clean with no errors. So yeah. like you know, you got to recognize your your strengths and weaknesses and for me I know that I'm a really good editor. Yeah. So I'm able to do that on my own. Yeah. Um, which really does speed the process up for me a lot, actually. It saves cause. you
0: some overhead, too. You don't have to pay anybody to do the editing then.
1: Exactly. But if I got tons of reviews that said my editing was terrible, then I would obviously send it out to an editor. It's just that that's just not the situation. Um, right. Yeah.
0: Right. No, but it also helps with that fast turn too, right? Because you're because you don't have to send it off to someone else to have them edit and then go back and forth in that process, your book is ready to go when you hit, you know, that last period at the end of the book, you, you can Um, go, right?
1: Pretty much. I do. I read through it one more time just to kind of fix like any like typos or um, if there's anything like I feel like I could add, like I know my last book, like I'll read through and I'll see scenes where like the romance wasn't as heightened as it could be. So I'll just add a few, Uh like, you know, give the romance some more like umph to it. Um, just tiny things like that. Um, guess it's like I do, minor line edits and copy edits all in one go. Yeah, And I do that one read through that takes me about a week. So I'm really, I'm like reading each paragraph multiple times to make sure each one's perfect.
0: Do you do the Uh, whole thing with like a a ruler (laughs) (laughs) line
1: by line? I use word, but yeah, I mean, I do it line by line and each thing just gets read so many times to make sure that I'm not messing up. And then, yeah, yeah, I mean, after that point, I'll upload it into Vellum which I love Vellum so much. It um, yeah. just makes it look so perfect. And i <laughs> it's kind of ready to go. I have a review team and I'll send it to them and give them two weeks to read it. And so then they're ready to post reviews on Amazon the day of release.
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Good, smart, that's smart. How many people are on your review team?
1: So I think I have about 1500 people on my review team mailing list.
0: Oh, that's but a huge review team. <laughs>
1: all of those like I feel like for each book that I like send out my review request forms for I only mm-hmm. get a hundred people actually signing up for reviews because I'm pretty strict actually on, like what I require I make it pretty clear to my people that they have to have reviewed a book of mine in the past yeah. to get a free copy because so many people will join review teams just because they want to grab freebies and yeah. then they never leave reviews so I just feel like that's kind of not fair to the author yeah. So I make sure that they send me a link verifying that they've reviewed a book of mine, which I feel like shouldn't be hard. You know, if they're on my review team, I expect it's because they've read a book of mine in the past and they loved it enough to want to be on my team, yeah. which means that they should be able to leave a review yeah. and they should be able to review on Amazon because I'm in Kindle Unlimited. So that's kind of my only place.
0: Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So you don't, you, that was, I meant to ask you that earlier. So you only distribute to KU?
1: I do. Obviously, my traditional trilogy is wide because I don't right. have say over that. But yeah, I mean, I found out with my genre, KU is huge. Um, all of the authors who kind of like are very successful indies in my genre are in KU. So yeah. I'm doing a lot of marketing towards fans of those authors. So I know that those readers are gonna be KU readers. And that's right. a huge part of my decision. But also when I looked at the numbers, it's just made sense for me with my books. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a tough question, I, and I get asked all the time whether you should go exclusive or wide. Of course, I do because of draft to digital. But I mean, yeah. it's it's tough because it all depends on your strategy and your genre and a whole bunch of other factors. So it exactly. sounds like it works for you though. You've got it. you you know you're making yeah, it works really well. Scratch.
1: That's vampire, YA fantasy. Like you know, I can't like say the same for other genres of what's better. Like I feel like that's up to the author to kind of yeah. just study their genre and learn that and understand like their target market.
0: Right, right. So how do you, uh, how do you understand your target market? Like how are you uh, figuring out what works?
1: So one interesting thing that I've learned actually is even though I write young adults, like people will think like, oh you write YA which means that the majority of your readers will be teens. But that's totally not true.
0: Yeah, um, I haven't found that to be true.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I know that with traditional publishing they do a lot more marketing to teens. Like they can get into Like school libraries, and they have connections with all the teachers. And um, teens are more likely to go into bookstores and buy books because they don't have credit cards. So they like need to spend the cash, and you can't spend cash online, obviously. Like you need a credit card to buy online. So instead of trying to sell the teens, I sell to adults who love YA, and it's just so funny because I get so many emails from fans, and so many of them like they'll tell me like how much they love my books, and then like as a PS they'll add. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed that I love your book so much because I'm not a teen. They'll be like, oh, I'm like a 65 year old woman. Or they're like a stay at home mom, which really right. enough, some of my biggest demographics are stay at home moms and retired, um, you know, people who are retired because they have more time to sit around and read. Right, right. Um, so I just focused my marketing on those people. Um, I read an article that said that I think it was 60%, 60, 60, 60% of readers of YA are actually adults, not teens. Yeah. Right. So I know the market's there, right? Um, so I just focus on hitting them because it's just so much easier to sell to adults online, right? Because they have the credit cards and they can make buying decisions of their own.
0: Yeah, 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 and, and so you're, do you rely primarily on ads for the marketing? Is that your primary goal, uh, primary yeah, marketing tool? I've
1: actually been doing really well with AMS ads. Mm. Um, I started my first ones in December twenty sixteen when I released my box set for Elementals. And it's just been going phenomenal for me. The majority of my money I put in is definitely for AMS. And then I run Facebook ads. Um, I think I do $5 a day in to get email leads. So I'll do a Facebook ad to my book funnel page where I um, do an email. It's like email collection book download thing. Yeah, So yeah, a book funnel lead generation page, whatever it is, um, $5 a day toward that and then $5 a day just to my first in series for my vampire book. Um, and I target fans of shade of vampire because Bella forest is, I think, like one of the most successful indie authors on all of Amazon. So I know there's a fan base there. So I really try to target that. Um, I really wrote my series actually with those fans in mind. So I know they're interested, so I target $5 to that and yeah, I do BookBub ads on occasion. Um, right. right now I'm actually in prime reading. So I find it's actually a bit harder to track sales when yeah. you're in prime reading because um, a lot of the people who would be buying the book are now just grabbing it for free on prime reading. Right. So I pause BookBub ads for the moment until I'm out of prime reading, just cause like I need to kind of, I need to know what I'm doing um, with my ads. Um, I just can't calculate them properly until it's out. But yeah. <laughs> So mostly AMS for now, but once I'm out of prime reading, I'm going to start doing more of the BookBub ads because I found them to work extraordinarily well because you know they're on BookBub, so you know that you're reaching readers, which I think is like a huge benefit compared to something like Facebook where you can target an author. Like let's say I was to target Stephanie Meyer, but for all I know I could be targeting people who like the only book they've read in the past like 10 years was Twilight. And right. those people are not going to be my readers. Like they are not readers, they just, read twilight so there's a huge difference so i know that with book club i'm targeting those people who will read like multiple books in a week and right. those are people who i want to be advertising toward
0: yeah 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 uh, yeah that's what makes it tough because we especially in ya fantasy and uh ya fantasy romance stuff uh you've got these outliers like twilight that sort of mm-hmm. skew the numbers in a way but they also introduced a lot of people to the genre so it's it's a mixed bag, because you might be able to target that that author and get you know readers, uh, but you might target that author and uh, only get people who only tuned in because they saw the movie and they bought the book and never read it, <laughs> so <Yes>. tricky.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why I target um, Shade of Vampire on Facebook, because okay. I know those are readers. That series has 50 books in it, so people who are reading that, they are devoted. <laughs> so right. They're going to be into it. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And presumably if they got through all 50 of those books, they're going to be hungry for more. So there, there you are.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) That's cool. So, um, all right. So where, where do you tend to take your inspiration for the books? I mean, you're, you're writing to market, so you're going out and looking and seeing what's hot, but I mean, you're, you're also, you said you also write what you like to read. Uh, so where are you? you
1: I guess I'm lucky in that I love to read the stuff that's for market. Like that's like my, All the like most like marketable like marketable books like those are my favorite ones and I've always wanted to write like books like that just because you know it's just what I personally enjoy and I understand it like you know there are writers who don't love all the books that are like 100% market and it's more of a challenge but you know I'm just glad that that's what I love and I'll read all the books in my genre to get an idea of you know what is popular right now and get an idea of what's selling and. Just kind of learn with each book that I read. So yes, I've read all fifty books in Shade of Vampire. So I want to understand like what makes that series sell. But I also enjoyed it. You know, I loved it. So it didn't feel like work. It was fun. Right. Um, Yeah, but I feel like doing that really helped me get a grasp on um, just the basics of how to make my books so they're written for that same market. Like obviously, it's my own characters, my own story idea. But I did notice that those books—they're about fifty thousand words each. Like they're shorter than more like some of the traditional books. I was able to implement that in, um, and just like smaller things. Like I noticed that, you know, they switch point of views, and not all YA books do that. But I was like, that's actually a cool idea. Like I can really expand my story by switching point of views in my story. So just little things like that have helped inspire it.
0: So uh, on the job training, in a way.
1: Yeah. Like I, don't, I cool. don't sit there and take notes or anything. When I read, I feel like I just kind of take it in and absorb it. And
0: I don't know. I had you pegged I, I, I in my head. Now you you're sitting, you know, you're in a comfy chair next to a fire with like a whole bunch of little plastic tabs out of the side of like a, the latest, you know, Twilight book or something.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm not that organized. <laughs> I read on my phone. Like I read on my Kindle app. Um, yeah. yeah. I just like lay on my bed and read and just enjoy the books. Yeah. Yeah. I figure
0: that's that I'll pick up on like stuff while I'm reading. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, you know, do do what makes it fun, you know. Uh yeah. so you're and you're it's cool because you you have turned this into a, a a business. I mean, you're treating this as a business and you're doing very well with it. I mean, are there things that other than you know, you took Mark Dawson's course, um, you uh, presumably have taken courses or learned whatever you had to learn about. AMS and uh, other ad services. I mean, was there any specialized education you tried to go through in order to, you know, to do a little better at the business side of this?
1: Um, I also took Nick, Nick Stevenson's um, yeah, first yeah. 10,000 readers course. Um, so I took that before taking Mark's ad for authors course. At that point, Mark's self publishing one one course didn't even exist Right. back in the beginning of 2016. And I'm also part of a lot of Facebook groups that have been so helpful. Um, There's one I'm in called Alliance of Young Adult Authors. And I joined that right when I started self-publishing Elementals. And everyone in there is just like so willing to share information that they've learned or just like business tips. And that helped me so much. And it helped me make connections with other successful authors in my genre. So we were able to do cross promotions together and I could just learn from them. And I'm part of 20 Books to 50K, which I know like a ton, that's like the hugest, it's like a massive group. Um, I think there's like over 10,000 people in that group right now, but you know, there are so many people with such good information and they're so willing to share. So I think that goes to show that, you know, even if you can't afford to take a fancy course that costs like, you know, hundreds of dollars, you can still get a lot of information for free online. If you, if you know where to look. So right. if you want to look in these free groups where people are willingly giving out all this information for free and helping people like you'll learn a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very nurturing community.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone's so nice. Like it's really great. Cause I feel like people don't look at anyone as a competition. Everyone just wants to help other authors out. And that was really, really a great experience. Like I just felt so welcomed into the indie indie community, especially like I had just come from traditional, and then I decided to tradition, like, transition into indie and just everyone was so excited and they were welcoming and so willing to like teach me the indie tricks that I just didn't know as a traditionally published author. And that helps me a lot. I mean, I feel like if you want to learn the information's there, you just need to um, make an effort to find it.
0: Yeah. But it's
1: definitely there.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. So 20 books is one source and you've got a couple. You mentioned a couple other Facebook. Yeah,
1: it's called here. an Alliance of Young Adult Authors, AAYAA. Okay. okay. So that's one of My favorites is those two are kind of the, my main ones that I've been a part of throughout the past two years. That I would recommend that other people check out.
0: Very cool. All right, all right. Uh, and I'll put I'll put show notes I'll put something in the show notes about you know all these uh, so people can track them down. In particular, uh, you know, I've been pushing Mark Dawson's course for the past couple of years anyway. So,
1: uh, or a- I've
0: been pushing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, um, I was in that very early. Unfortunately, I did not click with uh, the uh, the business side of this as easily as some have. Uh, you clearly are much more intelligent than I am. When I try to get my head around the uh, ad side of things, I get nauseated. <laughs> I'm much more of a guerrilla marketer.
1: There's actually one of my friends has a course called Guerrilla Marketing.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm that guy who likes to market with, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of appearances and I do a lot of, you know, I talk a lot.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah, so I'm the opposite. Like I like did appearances when I was doing traditional, but I am so happy to not have to do appearances anymore, and that I can just stay in my room and write all day and not have to talk to anyone.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. Amazing. yeah <laughs> no, so yeah, I would be just fine. I would be just fine if I had. Uh, I I have a PR agent, so I should I should utilize her more uh, <laughs> and just so
1: it sounds like you're more than I am, yeah. probably. Which okay. is an
0: odd thing for me to hear, uh, and, and no one believes me, but I'm a complete introvert. No one believes me when i tell them that yeah
1: well i guess because you said you like doing appearances and you like to talk to people which normally like introverts like tend to try to not do those things maybe,
0: maybe i'm uh I, I tell people i'm a high functioning introvert
1: yeah i'm, I'm an <laughs> outgoing introvert people are usually shocked when they hear i'm an introvert as well
0: yeah i wouldn't like, have pegged you for an introvert
1: yeah i totally am like i spend so much time alone like it's actually insane. Um, but I'm not shy cuz I think people misunderstand it, like you're, you you cannot be shy and be an introvert. It's just about like where you get your energy from.
0: Right, exactly right. right. And that, that's exactly right. Now I'm the same way. I I I I recharge on my own. Um that's when I get the writing done. That's when I I do a whole meditation thing. There's a whole thing that goes on. Uh so I, I like being with people and talking to people and then I'm done and then I disappear. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: feel like that's so common with like both writers and readers. Yeah. Just to love to read you need to love you know spending that time by yourself
0: right right yes. and then you want to share you want to share what you read that's a, that's well, that's really why I
1: online, like back in like when I was in high school I was all about live journal like talking about all the books that I had and my space yes
0: exactly <laughs> all right. um, okay so uh, we're getting close to time so I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time but if you had a, uh, uh, if you were going to offer advice to somebody who kind of is in the same track you're in, um, what's the, what's the like very first thing you'd tell them to do uh, that, that you think would put them on track?
1: Well, I think the first thing they need to do is study the market. Um, they need to get onto Amazon, look at what's selling and specifically look at what's selling that's indie published because the right. track market is so different from indie publishing and read those books that are selling well to the indie market. So you have an understanding of why they're selling. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can kind of get an idea of which one of your book ideas will be best to write for that market and pick that idea and just write it as fast as you can. Get it mm-hmm. edited, make it the best that you can possibly make it. And during that time, be part of Facebook groups. I mean, if you can afford it, take a course about self-publishing 101 or first 10,000 readers or something like that. But if you can't afford it, join the Facebook groups and mm-hmm. learn as much as you can. And that will just help you to get ready to put that book up there on Amazon. and sell it the best that you can possibly sell
0: it. Sweet. All yeah. right. This sounds, this should sound like familiar advice to everybody um, who listens to this show. I'm just going to put that out there. This should sound familiar. Uh, all right. Well, Hey, Michelle, thanks so much for, for being on. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to really, cause we kind of, Met and hung out a little at uh, Nink that first year, uh, but didn't really get to talk. But I'm, I'm glad we connected, and uh, I'm really glad we got a chance to hang out with each other at uh, Indie Book Fest. Yes,
1: and thank you so much for inviting me on the show. This was fun.
0: Oh, of course. No, you're welcome back on anytime you feel like it. Thank you. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this, this uh, interview with the lovely Michelle uh, Maddow. Yeah. which I've been mispronouncing your name publicly for the past uh, year or so. So okay. I apologize.
1: The important thing is knowing how to spell it. Because
0: yes. I, know
1: I it on Amazon correctly.
0: There you go. Yeah. Look her up on Amazon. Definitely check out her work. Uh, and uh, Michelle, if you'll hang out, uh, everybody hang out for the, you're probably hearing the, the bridge music right now. And you may dance in place at will. Uh, on the other side of this, you're going to get the uh, news and breakdown, whatever's happening in the indie publishing world right now. That's important to you. Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show. And and I'll see every one of you next time. All right. That was my interview with Michelle Mado. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got something inspirational, informative, educational, entertaining out of that. That's uh, For those uh, paying attention, that's, that's our... Uh, mission statement here at the word podcast. It's my personal mission statement, uh, that I will be doing that. And so, uh, I'm happy to provide. <laughs> so, um, now we're gonna, we're gonna get into, um, some indie publishing news. I hope you're, uh, I hope you, I hope you've got your hat pulled down tightly, uh, and your socks pulled up firmly because this is going to blow them off. Uh, <laughs> How's that was ever build up and hype. So, um, we got. First news item is Don't Get Cocky. Uh, romance author Felina Hopkins has been the talk of the indie publishing industry of late. Thanks to her decision to trademark the word cocky as it applies to romance genre ebooks, books, audiobooks, and allegedly even metadata for all of the above, uh, Hopkins began sending cease and desist notifications to authors using the word in their romance titles. Threatening legal action if authors didn't comply and make a change. Hopkins has trademarked not only the word cocky, but a stylized font treatment of the word using a font that is apparently not legally allowed to use in trademark or copyright, according to its own developer. Uh, The community is up at arms over the move, and it has sparked a very heated discussion regarding intellectual property laws and as they apply to indie authors. Uh, So, my take on this is uh, this is an abuse of IP law, and uh, it should never really have passed review with the uh, United States uh, Patent and Trademark Office. I frankly feel like somebody at that office has fallen down on the job uh, and uh, apparently does not have access to a common English dictionary because this is a common English word, and we are specifically not allowed to trademark common English words. Um, Now, I have avoided coming out and saying anything publicly about this, uh, so far, cause I wanted to hear both sides. I wanted to see, um, you know, I wanted to make sure I was giving both sides of this a fair shake and, uh, judging merit and not uh, making emotional reactions to the whole thing. But I can't understand <laughs> how the, uh, the trademark office, uh, could allow this to pass. Now, a couple of problems with this, uh, one, Cocky is of course a commonly used English word. It has been frequently used as part of the title of romance books in the past well before, uh, Hopkins, um, first use uh, examples. And, um, (laughs) it's, I'm flummoxed by the whole thing. Uh, Uh, that's just some of the examples. And then the second, the second issue is she trademarked a stylized version of this. Um, the word cocky using a font, uh, that, you know, she wasn't legally allowed to use, um, which to my thinking, and I think to most logical th- thinkers would invalidate that trademark right away. Um, so there's problems. Okay. Now, uh, here's where I want to rush to the defense of Felina Hopkins just, um, just a bit. Now she is claiming that she's, uh, her family and friends and even the, cover models for her uh, book covers are getting threats and getting some bullying from the author community um i want to ask i don't know i don't know about the validity of these statements but i want to ask as a community that we do not engage in any sort of bullying no matter how justified we may feel it to be uh i don't feel it's justified i think that um uh, There was some questionable activity here. I think that this was a bad decision on uh, Hopkins' part. But I also think, in her defense, um, that she was legitimately trying to defend her brand and protect her readers. Um, maybe, you, you know, that, that is also something I can't prove, can't show, don't have any evidence for, uh, it is entirely anecdotal, but I, I do believe that she, that she at least considered that, um, I just think she went about it entirely the wrong way. And, uh, I think that it is damaging, um, to the industry, uh, to, uh, these authors who felt threatened and bullied themselves, uh, because these takedown notices I've seen them. Well, the takedown notices I have not seen. Uh, she is she has approached Amazon with takedown notices, and the, and some books were taken down. The RWA has actually stepped in and brought a legal team into this, uh, to, and has actually gone to Amazon on behalf of these authors to ask that they do not honor these takedown notices uh, until this is resolved. And I think that's a good policy because Amazon's policy is very hands off. They're just going to say. Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a problem and, uh, we, we like to avoid problems. Our zero tolerance policy is you're out. Um, and so are the monies that you would have collected. Uh, those mysteriously don't get refunded to anybody. Uh, that's a, just a, another ball of, uh, that's another can of worms, honestly. But uh, here's what I think is going on though. Um, well, I mean, we know what's going on. The problem for me is she decided to escalate this. To, uh, to something legal and scary. She says in her uh, uh, cease and desist emails and letters, the notifications that she's sending to some of these authors, that uh, she will pursue legal action. She specifically says she will. She does make a point to say, I don't want your money. I'm trying not to uh, harm your business, but could you go ahead and take this down? Because uh, I don't want to have to pursue legal action. She does say that, but the threat is still there it's clear she's threatening, you know? Um, so this is a, a, scary thing for a lot of authors cause you know, most, most of these authors don't have the funds to uh, hire a lawyer and, and fight a, uh, a legal battle. So that's why it's good that RWA and other organizations are becoming involved, um, and are representing these people, uh, in a legal capacity. Um, all that said, Considering she does want to protect her brand, considering she does want to prevent her readers from being confused, which I think is a questionable uh, position in the first place, but uh, she is still, in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, uh, flat out wrong uh, in her decision to uh, pursue pursue this. Um, I don't think she had, you know, any. I don't think there. I I don't think there's any legal standard that would support her <laughs> in, uh, copy and, uh, trademarking a common English term and then, uh, pursuing everybody, um, who used it. So, um, uh, all that said, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, you can find the story about this, by the way, in the show notes of this episode, but if you go to bit.ly slash 149 dash cocky, uh, that'll take you to a Miami Herald story that I found, which was the most unbiased story I could find on the subject. Most people are very angry whether We do not bully. Uh, I just want to make that clear. Bullying is out. And uh, sh- no one deserves it. Uh shouldn't be tolerated from, e- from either side. Uh, if she's wrong, she's wrong, and the courts will decide that. Um, even my opinion is, is not a, uh, it, it shouldn't be considered, uh, in light of, you know, drawing punishment to, uh, Felina Hopkins, no opinion should. So let's not bully. <laughs> let's instead be rational and kind and considerate people. Cause I know we are, we're a very supportive community. Uh, let's instead look at this uh, for what it is. This is an opportunity to explore intellectual property law and possibly enact some change go check it out bit.ly slash 149 dash cocky 149 of course is the episode number uh, so go check that story out let me know what you think Uh, you can can send me an email at um, wordslingerpodcast.com all right next up books by women authors are cheaper than books by men which is an odd sort of thing to come up but uh, I actually enjoyed reading about this day. Uh that according to CBS Money Watch reporting on research that books written by women are priced 45% lower than books written by men. That's a startling number. If you uh, stop and consider it, researchers analyzed more than 2 million books published between 2002 and 2012 uh, and determined that 40 that 45% number uh, to apply to both traditional and indie published books. This is the part of the story that got my attention and made me forced me to have to include this um that number by the way shrinks to just nine percent once once genre and other mitigating factors are included Uh, and the number specific to self-published titles is smaller still quote self-published titles by women are priced at four percent less than for men the, the researchers found as stated by the cbs article so what's driving this price differential. And I will argue that it's the genre. Uh, the article even comes straight out and says that, you know, genre was a factor. Um, <clears throat> but my take is that women tend to write in genres where, uh, various factors have driven the price point lower. Um, romance for example, is a predominantly, uh, women written woman written, uh genre uh that doesn't exclude men there are plenty of men writing in romance Uh, some of them are openly writing as men some of them are writing under female pen names Um, but the genre itself might have a lower price point than other genres and this is the kind of thing i want people to start looking at i would like to see this is what i'm saying i want to see the research look into these genres and compare men versus women in the genres I find it interesting that they chose self-publishing as part of the study uh, because it acts as a sort of control group because there's no organizational influence. If you are uh, in the publishing industry and you're seeing that women are being – women-written books are being sold at a lower price point than men-written books – then you, you can blame the organizational structure. You can blame this, the uh, pay gap. You can blame the glass ceiling. You can, you can point at this as an organizational problem. <clears throat> um, if you are looking at a, a community, an industry of independent publishers, however, it changes the game. The fact that the, the numbers are comparable between the two hints at something else (laughs) it hints at another issue it's not organizational at that point it could you could say it might be societal cultural um but i don't think so i i actually think what's happening is that we have uh for example let's just look at my example was thrillers um i write thrillers joanna penn writes thrillers we both have the same price point for our books, and if you look throughout thrillers, that price point is the average, which is about four ninety nine. Most most independently written thrillers, price point four ninety nine. Okay. Look at romance, predominantly written by women. Uh, if the price point is lower than you know, I don't know this number. I I could probably look this number up, but in the hypothetical, <clears throat> the price point could be two ninety nine um as there are more women writing in romance than in thrillers then the comparison between romance and thrillers alone would show that women are writing books that sell for a lower price point than men okay um if there are more men writing thrillers we're making some assumptions here that may or may not be correct i'm just using this as an example so now we've got uh, a scenario where you're if you're comparing all genres, written by self-published authors alone, um, there are genres in which in which the uh, the writers are overwhelmingly women, and there may be far more women in those genres, and those genres may just be statistically priced much lower than than uh, genres written by men. So I want to see more more of an in-depth look into each individual genre. Uh, I would like to see the comparison, for example, in science fiction yeah men who write science fiction and women who write science fiction uh are the price points different and my sort of argument overall here as independent authors we control our price <laughs> so if 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 women are pricing their books lower the article asks does that mean that men overvalue their books and women undervalue their books or have a tendency to such Um, or, you know, do do men value their, believe the value of their work to be higher and women believe the value of their work to be lower? In which case that is a cultural problem. Uh, or is there something else at play? So I I would like to see that information. I'd like to see that study. Um, I think it's fascinating and I, I don't want any sort of gender equality, uh, inequality, of course. Uh, I don't want any sort of inequality regardless of your race, your age, your, your uh you know religious background uh, your political affiliation there shouldn't be this self-publishing is the great equalizer self-publishing is where we can all go and and participate equally uh and frankly I don't even believe in competition in self-publishing so uh would love to see that study. <laughs> Fascinating study. You might. Want, I, I. I've started delving into the study, the report itself, a little bit. Uh, but the uh, most of my information is coming from the uh, article. I confess. So, check it out for yourself. Go read into that. Um, look that at the uh, URL for that is going to be bitly slash one forty nine dash gender. Uh, you'll find that article. And you'll find the show notes of this episode as well. Um, author takes on U.S. education. Ted Dintersmith, he's the author of What School What School Could Be. He appeared on CNBC to discuss his book and, and his take on how the education system in the United States is not only letting students down, but is actually making it more difficult for them to be competitive in the workplace. Uh, Dintersmith states that he believes college is definitely not for everyone. Uh, and he points out that only one in five students leave college with a background and the resources they need. Uh, to that would equip them for a successful career beyond college. Uh, and I have to say I agree 100%. Um, as controversial as this is going to be, I believe college is, uh, frankly, worthless. <laughs> it's a worthless endeavor. Uh, for the majority of the population, it's completely worthless. Um, and I mean that this is probably going to be the most, uh, uh, you know, the inflated <laughs> explosive thing you hear me say on this show. Um, so here's my position. Uh, we spend all of K through 12 trying to get, and now I want to preface this by saying I was a teacher. I was a high school teacher in both public and private school. I was a uh, adjunct professor at college campus. Um, so I, I, and I have a master's degree in education. My wife was a teacher. Uh, so I, you know, I have some background to bring to this um we spend all of k through 12 essentially preparing students to pass certain tests and to pass entrance exams to get into college we have whether we want to state it out loud or not a this general hope uh, really sort of a lazy hope that we are going to put those kids in college and in college they'll learn how to be successful in their careers so we don't bother teaching them life skills we don't bother teaching them how to work together out of, you know, out of cooperation. We don't teach them how to manage resources, how to manage time. (laughs) We don't teach them any of those things. Um, and, uh, and this is not the teachers, by the way. I love teachers. Teachers are, are selfless, strong character. You know, they, they're amazing. Every teacher I know is amazing. Uh, they're just, their hands are tied. They're, they're locked down. Um, they're robbed of resources. They're robbed of autonomy. They're robbed of, uh, everything, but the responsibility for this kid's success. They're, they're every control, every power is taken from teachers. Uh, and they're expected to somehow yield successful, bright young minds. Um, so the system is what's broken. And when this is, when your system is broken, you scrap it and you start over. I think that, Uh, we've got kids going into college who are completely unprepared for college, (laughs) just completely unprepared for college, not much less life. Uh, so I, I honestly, my solution would be skip college, spend all that time and money and energy on building a small business. Um, do everything you can to learn all you can about that business. And about how to succeed, do everything you can to make it succeed. And a couple of benefits come from, this. a few benefits come from this. One, you learn how to manage resources. You learn how to manage time. You learn how to cooperate with others. You learn how to consider uh, marketplace. You can consider other people. Uh, so you're not selfish, you're not self-centered. You uh, you learn how to manage finances. You know, you there are, there are a lot of advantages that come with with diving head first into uh, building a small business. And then um, if you fail, what you've got is something interesting to put on your resume. You've got experience you can bring to a job. You've got experience you can bring to college if you need to go back to college. Now, if you've got a specialized career, like you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, uh, something along those lines, then you go to college. And I believe you should, you should not be forced to focus on anything but that specialized coursework. But I think that if you go in with the experience of having run a business, you are now much more prepared. You know what you actually need to know. You know what you actually are deficient in. You know what your strengths are, and so you know how to uh, tackle an, a, a college-level education much more efficiently and get much more out of it. So those are my that's my opinion, all of his opinion. <laughs> but the the uh, thing driving this uh, little tirade is this the uh, the story on CNBC. Uh, the interview with Ted Dintersmith. It's a video interview, so you, and it doesn't—it's not very long. So go check that out, and you might want to pick up his book, "What School Could Be," uh, which I—I I confess I have not read myself, uh, but I'm, I've already got it on my to-read list. Um, but I just thought it was such a nice conversation starter and uh, something I think authors should consider um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but mostly because I think as as authors, we are we're running our own businesses. Uh, we should be tackling, we should, you never should walk away from education. You should always be learning. You should always be growing and improving. Um, and it will change your life if you start looking at the world that way. As authors, I think that's invaluable. We treat our work like a career, like a business, and we are dedicated to our own personal, uh, education throughout the rest of our lives and success is sure to follow. So. Uh check that out. You can find that story at bitly/149-school. slash And that's it everybody. We uh we got we got through it. No meteors hit the hit my home. Uh nothing, you know, no power outages uh, so far knock on wood. And uh this episode of the uh on your podcast by the way got a special one for you today. Uh, written world writer's retreat. Uh, this is where you can rent a writer's retreat that goes wherever you want to go. Uh, check out my listing on outdoorsy for the perfect writer's retreat. My 38 foot luxury motor coach. <laughs> you can go to uh, bit.ly slash RV rider for details. Um, and what's going on is we're renting out uh, the RV that I lived in and wrote three bestsellers in, uh, for a year. Uh, we're now renting that out to to anyone who wants to uh, take it, and you don't have to go on a writer's retreat. You can just take the family, a family of uh, up to six people comfortably, uh, maybe a couple more if you don't mind getting snuggly, and uh, go and enjoy yourself and get some writing done in uh, the great outdoors. It's awesome to do, by the way. So uh, check it out, uh, bit.ly slash Writer. And I uh, hope to see you out there somewhere. Now, you can also support this show by uh, going and taking a little visit to Draft2Digital. Draft2Digital will let you convert, publish, and distribute your book worldwide with support the whole way. If you go to Draft2Digital.com slash Wordslinger, you can sign up, and uh, I get a little kickback. Uh, and, of course, Wordslinger Press, where you can find uh, – there's going to be a growing list of resources on that. If you go to WordslingerPodcast.com, in the little right-hand uh, column of the page – You'll see Wordslinger Press. Click on that, and you can buy. That's where you can buy a couple of books uh, right now. There will be more, uh, and I'm always going to sell them on that page for a lot less than you would pay full retail. So it's the cheapest place to get some uh, some books that might help you in uh, growing your career. So check all that out, and of course, thank you so much for being a listener. Uh, if you don't mind, go and review the show on iTunes, and uh, give me a give me some stars and give me a review. That really It helps people find the show. So we've made it all the way to the end. And I really appreciate you sticking around with me for this hour and seven minutes and change. Um, I'm not going to hold you here any longer. Go out and enjoy your weekend. God bless each and every one of you. I love you all. And I'll see you all next time.